It's Welcome to episode 144. Uh, we are back uh, just before the international break. I am Josh, joined by... Whoa, we have to say our names now? This is a new yeah. one. Hi. Yeah. yeah, Adam, hey. We've not done this before. I forgot how to say my name. And you got Craig here as well. Wonderful. Uh, we are recording quite late on a Sunday night. Uh, Adam went to an apple farm today uh, to sample some <laughs> apple delights. Someone uh, informed me they're called orchards. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is Who the rumour. Um, I was told, I was schooled uh, prior to going live that actually they were called an apple farm. So that's that's taught me. Uh, <laughs> we get the important things out of the way first, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a learning opportunity for everybody involved. Um, it's an orchard or a farm, depending on where you are in the world, clearly. Let us know, everyone. Uh, message yeah. us. Yeah. Sounds like wherever, a poll to me. Yeah. Wherever you grow apples, is it an apple tree or an apple farm? <laughs> um, so Arsenal yesterday, uh, the old Mopé rivalry re- re- regurgitates itself. Uh, we had a pretty poor record against them last year. They did the double over us for the first time um, since coming up to the Premier League. Change One change at the back. Uh, we lost uh Welbeck um I say at the back it wasn't really it was kind of in the midfield we went from a 3-4-3 to a 3-5-2 with Welbeck out Jakob Moda in uh the reason I kind of said at the back is because it really did flesh us out a lot more so in the midfield and defensively um when you looked at the side happy not happy very happy I think in terms of we, we sat here last week asking why Moda isn't starting and and sort of a physical presence and his sort of attacking prowess um, is sort of something that he can bring to the team. Um, so I was very excited to see him in the place of Welbeck and uh, judging by the first half and, and the run of the game. Um, I thought personally he had a good game. Uh, the lineup was obviously as uh, disappointing as it can be given that it didn't include Basuma for obvious reasons and, and Lamptey. I think we were all sort of hoping maybe they would they would make an appearance and, and obviously it was a, a week or two too soon. Now we have the break and they're going to give them that time. Um, it was nice to see us start out with those three central uh, midfielders with a slightly different tweak on what we've done before. We have the two holding and one set a little bit further forward. Um, and it, it, we had our standard 10 minutes at the start, as with every week, that is just now becoming a bit of a, a ridiculous sort of scenario that unfolds each time we play. But um, it looked good on paper in terms of what it was, what it could be. And this was this was an Arsenal side that was coming off the back of three wins. Um, I went on an Arsenal podcast this week, uh, Featly TV, for any of those that want to go back and take a look at it. Uh, just a big shout out to Stephen Featly, by the way. He he conducted that podcast in a hospital bed. Um, I was astounded, as was Craig when he checked in as well. Uh, not out of choice. There was not a, out like an actual hospital. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right, good for him. Yeah. Uh, talk about dedication. Um, you would think some things can wait. Obviously not. You live, you live by the podcast. It's a you true fan. Podcast. And Arsenal haven't got many these days, um, so they need all they can get. Uh, but they, they were coming in off of three wins on a row, in a row. Uh, he assured me that they really didn't count for anything because they were Norwich, Burnley, and then Spurs, uh, who, given the big rivalry, he was obviously waxing lyrical about that. Uh, but nevertheless, they're a young side, and they're very confident that that front group, that Saka, that Smith Rowe, 
you know, your Obama Yang starting to get a bit of bit of rhythm going forward as well. Uh, your your fullbacks, that Tierney and the Tomiyasu, uh, were were kind of finding their feet as well. This was, for me, I was expecting this to be quite a tough day at the office for the Albion, especially without Bissouma. Um, 58% possession, uh, dominated them in pass success rate, dominated them in the air, dominated them defensively, uh, set pieces, everything. Uh, we we ran them ragged for 80 minutes of the game yesterday. Um, compared to the result against Monday on Monday and the performance on Monday, do we really think it was that much of a, a motor effect or do we think that this was a case of just a genuine day at the tactics office for, for Potter? Um, my, <laughs> this was the return to Potterball, wasn't it? This, this was a last season game where we looked fantastic right up until we were tasked with putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, and when you say Tommy asu has been finding his feet, I think I know where they are. They're in Cucurella's locker. He was absolutely run ragged the entire game. Um, I was I was annoyed after the end of this game, and I think that is a testament to where this club has come in the past few years. Because we should we should have won that game handily. Uh, it was it was two points dropped for me, but if we look at it from a slightly different perspective. If we even out some of the karma that perhaps was uh, benefiting us from the start of the week, uh, you could say that probably things have come out roughly in the area they should have. But um, yeah, a little frustrating not to have won that game. Ton of shots in terrible conditions from places where we were never going to score. And the one thing that still is on my mind is that chance towards the end that people aren't talking about much, where March came on, ran down the right flank. And instead of passing to McAllister, who's just sat on his own right on the outskirts of the box, just shanked it. Uh, so, yeah. It was a, it was a, yeah. I mean, in terms of the game itself and and what we looked at, I think Adam sort of smashed it in terms of this is this is what we were seeing week in week out last season in terms of you know twenty one shots, very little of them on target, but. You know, we're, we're sort of dominating the game and it's exquisite to watch, um, but we're not getting those results. Um, it's a good point around karma as well, you know, in, in terms of, you know, we've had a we've had a few um, few bits of luck come our way in these early games. Um, and, you know, we're, we are back to that potable XG madness where, you know, we're not getting the fruits of our labor. So I hope that doesn't continue. Um, but again, making it into a positive seven games in two points a game, you know, that that can't be sniffed at going into another international break yeah and i actually missed out the shot stat on purpose because we did i did want to cover that separately 21 shots only two of them on target uh we what were racked up a 1.4 xg from 21 shots should clearly be doing better you would think we had the dan burn opportunity where he pretty much had a free header from six yards out six foot seven center half i just want to remind everybody that it's uh, missing a free header from six yards out uh i thought the trossard opportunity was also a good one uh in the first half i think it was the first half where he, he kind of made a really good amount of space on that right hand side and just drilled it straight at uh ramsdale um, and then, as you said, I, I'd, I had forgot all about that opportunity towards the end with Solly March and McAllister. He was furious, McAllister, by the way. He was angry. I saw that, yeah. And I mean, he like, has every so right be. to be. Yeah, should be, yeah. Yeah. Um, like you said, you know, I, I was I was very frustrated at the end of the game because you could feel it. 
you could feel a goal coming for ages. And in that last 20 minutes, you could feel it even more so. Like, one way or another, some someone's going to score, whether it's undeservedly at Arsenal's end or not. Um, there was something doing, and it just never quite came to fruition. Do you think that this is uh, another case to make for if we had a better striker? Or do no. you think this is a case for creating more clear-cut opportunities as opposed to half chances? I think this is, yeah, I think it's exactly the latter in terms of we, we are creating a lot of chances, um, but they're, they're not, I guess, they're, they're not clear cut in terms of seeing those opportunities. And when we do see them, we see that instance of March just not going for that extra pass. Or there was a chance in the first half where it was just one too many passes to get a shot off or get a clear cut opportunity. So it, it seems like there's an imbalance here where we're not, we're either overplaying it or we just don't see that right decision to make to make that clear cut chance. Um, 21 shots, two on target tells you everything you need to know. And that, you know, you're getting chances um, and there's only so much the strikers can do, but if they're just one-off chances, I mean, 21 shots and a 1.4 XG means that they're not coming from very good areas either. So, you know, that that's where it is. And, you know, we're, we're talking about last season all over again, especially in this, in this one game. I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to um, say that the weather played a very big role in in some of this um, horrible horrible conditions. So it's hard to you know pass too much judgment. I mean I I knew you were gonna get to the striker question because people already come out and, and start to and I think if if Mope hasn't been so clinical in the first few games, I saw some posts on in the Arsenal subreddit talking about wishing if they had a clinical finisher like Mope. <laughs> So, you know, you've got to think about how the other half are living a little bit. Um, so he's been fantastic. He didn't, it's, it's the same as a couple of other games we've had this year where we, we've come away a little bit with some question marks, like the Everton game I'm reminded of, where you can't blame Mope because he didn't get any service. And he had a couple of, you know, a shot at the end that just went wide because he was frustrated. He was, he was annoyed. Um, and you look at the rest of the team that we had on show yesterday, and I don't look at that list of players and think, one of them's going to smash one in from outside of the box, outside of Trossard, maybe on a good day. Um, so I just don't think we necessarily have the personnel to be able to do what happened yesterday. And the only chances that I think we could be really ashamed of not finishing are those slew of headers between Byrne and Duffy that on another day, two of those go in. Stephen Featley is in the comments. Uh, Stephen, I hope you're feeling better. I hope you're out of hospital now and doing well. Uh, Fair play to you still for, for running your show while while banged up. Um, big up, Josh and panel, well played. Uh, Potter proves he's better than Arteta and outsmarts him. Uh, if it weren't for Ramsdale, you probably would have won that game 2-3-0. to three nil. Arteta tactics again exposed. Uh, I bet those Arsenal YouTubers that went to Arteta out, back to Arteta in after two poor wins and a win against Spurs look pretty stupid now. Arteta out. <laughs> Talking of how the other half live, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it's going uh, great there, isn't it? I mean, Craig Craig nailed it in the WhatsApp chat shortly afterwards that Potter really had bent him over in uh, in as many words, I believe, was the exact phrase. I think I think that's verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> it what Potter enjoys these games against Arsenal, doesn't he? Like, even though he had the double done on him last year, he he does tend to find just an incredible way of exposing Arsenal whenever they're in there, whoever they're playing for, whether it was Emery or, or, or Arteta as well. What do you think 
it is about the Arsenal side that Potter finds so easy to game plan against. And also, and you can say the same against Watford and Newcastle because clearly he's got them in his back pocket as well. But they play very different football to Newcastle, so I'm not going to ask that question as a comparison. What What is it about Arsenal that makes them so easy for Potter to play against? <sighs> Go on, it's, it's, yesterday was about, I, I don't want to say physicality, but just sort of energy in, in terms of out just outrunning Arsenal at the point. And we'll we'll go back to that in terms of just what that what that press looks like in terms of how far up we were up the pitch and just man for man, like all the way full press. You know, we're we're talking basketball terms now for those that, that enjoy that. But you're talking a man to man way up the entirety of the pitch. And that takes a lot of energy. That takes a lot of commitment. And it takes a lot of teamwork to make sure that nothing slips. Now, we saw one of the Emil Smith-Rowe chance in the second half where it just broke down once. Um, but it was commendable how uh, Potter was brave in going for that because, you know, it, it could have not worked drastically. And, you know, we, we were pushing so far up that they couldn't be offside because they were making runs in from behind in their own half. So... It's just in terms of, I guess the thing about Potter is he does keep, he keeps us guessing and we watch every week, right? So let alone going up against the team two times a season and Potter mixing it up and his options that he's got with this depth of this team that can work in multiple different positions in multiple different areas. And um, it just keeps other managers guessing. And, you know, I don't think Arteta has really got used to that. And I think we can, we could probably use him as a, a poster boy for a, a manager that just, doesn't manage to get the one up on Potter. I think the the press was the absolute, as you highlighted, just such a big, glaring omission from from a lot of what Arteta's game. Well, I don't know if he had a game plan. It didn't really feel like it. I, I, if I'm an Arsenal fan, and all due respect to to Mr. Featley, who's who's listening in, um, because I feel like you probably share this sentiment. It's an embarrassing display, uh, and it just they just felt weak. And I think that sums up this a lot of what how Arsenal play and, and how the squad feels. They're not gelled. They feel timid. Um, every second ball always dropped to a Brighton player. And then even if an Arsenal player managed to get something, they were then tackled from behind or the side without the, not a shout from their teammates. Um, like there's just, there doesn't seem to be much there. And I think outside of Ramsdale, Gabriel, Ben White, unfortunately had a pretty good game um, for us. And, and then Smith, Rowe and Saka, you could argue the rest of the team was absolutely embarrassing. Um, so, yes, there's a tactical piece around the press, but I also don't know how, I don't know how much they actually want to fight. It just, just feel, meek, feel meek from the Arsenal perspective. And to add to that as well, because there was one, one extra piece of body language that you didn't touch on there, but it was the big one that stood out for me. How fast heads went down when they were dispossessed. There was no running back. There was no running. Even if you know you're not going to catch it, you know, like even the Sunday league, you still do that. Like you get dispossessed stupidly. Like you make an effort to look like you're running back. You know, you're not going to catch him. But like it wasn't, they weren't even doing that. And like they're in their own half and they're not doing that. This is, it looks like a team that doesn't believe in itself whatsoever. And it was abundantly on display yesterday when we had four men on the edge of their 18 yard box and Ramsdale and the defenders looked like they were constantly exchanging heated words about what the hell to do about this. Yeah. 
<laughs> and Arteta was furious as well, right? He was on the touchline constantly, and every time they would just lose possession, he would just put his head in his hands. And and you must wonder, he must be saying, he must be trying to pass the message along, but it doesn't seem to be being instilled properly within that team. Um, and I, and you, I think it's a bit of a cliche at this point to say, do they have a proper leader there? Um, Obama Yang being the captain, Obama Yang has been you got to worry about Aubameyang. You paid him a lot of money and he has just done nothing. Uh, Odegaard was incredibly disappointing yesterday, as was Kieran Tierney. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to have Stephen on the show at some point as well, maybe when we have the uh, the, the the Emirates tie of, 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 of this Arsenal matchup and, and see if things have improved. But my big question coming out of this is how bad are Tottenham? How bad are Spurs? <laughs> they only won today on an own goal again. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Tottenham, they, I believe they did win today, didn't they, right? They won 2-1, I think. Yeah. yeah. And that takes Villa. Uh, they get, they beat Villa as well. That's a team that, that I thought were going to be pushing on a lot this year, despite losing Grealish. Uh, and they have not pulled up any trees either. Um, good performances, though. They've been playing nice football, and Ollie Watkins looks like a, a good player. I think they'll be okay. I think so too. I think they just need to gel. Uh, Aubameyang, though, would you? Would you? Because he is paid a lot of money, and he does seem to enjoy his life outside of football a lot. Would you go as far as to say he is simply Lacardia with a better resume? <laughs> I mean, it's, you remember that he's what thirty-four, thirty-five now. Um, in terms of just getting on to the, I guess he's the thirty-two. Decline. Is he really? He plays like he's thirty-five. I mean, 32. yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely shocked. <laughs> you know, Adam, you can go whilst I, I regroup. Well, I mean, how, how, how much better did they look when Lacazette came on? And Lacazette's not very good. <laughs> So I, I would. So this is maybe an absolutely frozen take. But I would, per your joke, I would rather have Lacardi on his wage than have Obama Yang as the captain of my team playing like he's playing. But anyway, I don't think it's that cold a take at all. At least he's not, you know, Lacardi is just chilling in the changing rooms. He's not supposed to be leading the line. Yeah. Well, I mean, Arsenal have, have sort of made a, a bit of a thing out of paying quite a lot for players approaching their 30s or just into their 30s and then them falling off an absolute cliff. So it's par for the course, really feels that way um before we get on to the player performances themselves was there anything else you wanted to point out about the the tactical battle that was all i had but is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on this will probably go into the player ratings but uh fullbacks on our side especially on the left an unnamed player as of now pushed so far up it was so nice to see um, with having those three central, I'm not going to call them holding because none of them are holding midfielders, but having those three players in the centre of the pitch for us meant that um, the left and right wing backs could play so high up and then complement um, Trossard and, and, and Mopé. It obviously didn't lead to an end product, but it quite frankly should have had multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get on to the player ratings uh, and let's start with with that unnamed number three uh, because he really was that good. 
Uh, he led the way on just about every defensive stat you would like to see. Uh, led the team with tackles, led the team with successful pressures for the most part. Uh, outrageously, um, his possession is one of my favorite stats that I looked at today. Uh, he had, um, where is his stupid name? 68 touches of the ball. Uh, 42 of them were in their final third. So when you when you look at the eye test and you say he was so far inside their half, the, the stats back you up massively. You know, he had 20, 31 touches of the ball in, our, in the middle and defensive thirds. <laughs> in fact, he had five touches in our defensive third all game. Five. Five touches. That's, that's, our, that's our wing back is having five touches in our defensive third. Um, he was just unbelievable. And for me, I, I liked the cut of his jib when I first saw all his little like YouTube trailers and stuff. But I, you like the cut of everyone's jib watching those trailers. But I was watching him and I thought, looks like a great player. Looks like an upgrade on Solly March. And he's very young, which is great. And he's got that Spanish connection, which just echoes throughout my Brighton heart. And... I always thought, like, if we could get someone to just help out Lamptey, doesn't need to be at Lamptey's level. No one's going to be close to Lamptey's level when we've seen him in the fits and bursts we've seen him in, right? Like, he's just so far ahead of everybody else. And now I'm sat here going, I think we have found his equal. Just how good was Kukure yesterday? Just nuts. I think it'll just, you know, we, we talk about him taking, like, a duck to water. Like, you, you wouldn't think that this is, you know... It was three, four games into his Brighton career in terms of, you know, first time he's ever played in the Premier League. And he's putting in performances like this, you know, against what we will say is a lacklustre Arsenal signed. But, you know, we made them look very poor as well. And um, there's a combination there. But just so good uh, in terms of his his running, just his pure energy, you know, being up and down that left flank the entirety of the 90 minutes. And um, obviously just the the ability to tackle and getting forward, delivering really good crosses in, um, in terms of being able to, to get things going, um, as well as being an outlet for a corner every now and then, you know, just towards the end of the game, like just it, in, insane stamina running, just ability. And yeah, like saying yesterday, just, you wouldn't know it's his fourth or fifth game. You would think he's been playing the Premier League for 10, 12 years. There, it, it's always nice when after a game, the collective sort of football community comes around and says something, you know, things like, I can't believe Brighton got him for that amount of money. I can't believe Barcelona didn't buy him back from Hatafe, so on and so forth. Oh, why weren't we looking at him? And that's all you need to know in terms of how good he looked. Um, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with the tactics. And, and this is why... The, the, the Brighton consortium of, of, of uh, people looking at buying players, if you will, uh, Ashworth and co were, were so obsessed with getting him in. And this was a long project, right? We were talking about Cucurella, right? The start of the transfer window, right through to the end, because he fits so perfectly into this, this sort of potable DNA. The 7 a.m. kickoff that Arsenal Twitter account posted before the game yesterday. And this connects with Cucurella. Brighton have the second most pressures in the league prior to yesterday. They have won more possession than any other team. Best possession percentage, win percentage. They have also attempted the most tackles, won the second most, and have the best tackle percentage versus dribbles. 
that was his game yesterday. Like all of those things. And if it wasn't just him pressuring, we were there were groups of people like getting around any Arsenal player that won the ball back. The number of times I feel like I saw Cucurella come from the side and win possession back because he was getting pressured from a motor or someone else through the central position. That's what it's all about. And he's just got it straight away, like Craig said, just after a couple of games. And it was it was quite incredible to watch the the immediate almost like telepathic understanding between him and Moda, who was making his first start for the side this season for with a player that has played four games. It was like you said, they hunted in a pack. Those two as a as a little mini pack just hunted together and they just ripped them apart on that side. Um, and then not only defensively, but I was just looking here. He had uh, he was second in most progressive carries. Uh, he was second in most successful dribbles. Both Trossard was number one in both. Uh, and then expected assists, he was second uh, as well. You know, like however much however much weight you put into the X uh, stats, he was he was only second in that as well. That he is providing just about everything you would want. And uh, Tommy Asu looked like he had been hit by a truck he looked like one of those there uh, he looked if it was a boxing match it would have been it, the ref would have waved it off at half time um he looked like one of those people who gets in a ring or an octagon with someone and realizes they are so far out of their depth very early and just look sad um it, it was it was outrageous um who else who else would you like to bring up um outside of kukurea if if we exclude his performance. I th- it was a team performance of, of high quality. Like you look, Lalana played out of skits. Lalana's been on the DL, a very, very, very good performer so far this season, um, which is what we expected, right? When when he was signed, with coming from that level of sort of stature of play. Let's also not discount how good Veltman has been this season too. Uh, Tierney looked terrible yesterday. Part of that's Tierney. Part of that is what Feltman can do. Um, but the excitement that I think we've been talking about a lot of being able to see that first game that we are hopefully after the international break, when we, we see Lamptey and Cucurella line up on, on both of the wings, that's exciting because it just opens up. We were so left centric yesterday and it just opens up both channels. gets really exciting. It's, when you look at a team like Norwich, and there's no disrespect to Norwich at all, but they are where they are for a reason. Um, when you when you're Daniel Fark Farker, what's his name? Fark Farker, whatever. When you're him, and you <laughs> probably know my name if I was him, but yeah. <laughs> and you sit there and you look at this team, and like you just said, like he's not an idiot. He'll know who was on the bench and what the status is of our important players. And he sits there and he goes. I have to genuinely and realistically game plan for a Brighton side that will be playing Kukurea, Bissouma, and Tarek Lamptey. Outside of those very top teams, your Liverpools, your Manchester Cities, your Man Uniteds to an extent, if they played at their ability under Ole, and maybe not, but you know those really top teams. Outside of those, how how do you game plan for? that kind of level of quality on each side of the pitch and down the middle. Like what it's one of those things where I sit there and I go, unless I'm Manchester City, I'm not sure how I deal with that. Yeah, I mean it's borderline a rhetorical question, isn't it? In terms of just how how do you deal with it? And you know, we 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 sat here and you we 
we're just you know salivating at the prospect of having them on each wing and and having you know Basuma back in that midfield and if we do the midfield three like we did yesterday and we have Lamptey and, and Kukurea in, in the team you know it's very hard to look past us having oodles of chances it's just whether we put them away um so in terms of how Norwich would line up you know maybe you know they they do see where they are they like you said they're there for a reason you know how do you go against this team and if we continue to press in the way we're doing the best chance is the counter-attacks you know the the Leicester City classics even though we we did beat them you know in terms of that Damari Gray did uh sort of exploit us in that regard so you know, when, when you're talking about weaknesses in this team, you know, obviously we don't see a lot at the moment, two points a game, you know, we're laughing and we're sat here happy as Larry, but, you know, when you're a Norwich, you, you see the best opportunity maybe as a counter-attack because we will keep the ball for 60, 65%. Uh, I think that's sort of nail on head for me in terms of how I'd have answered the question. If, if, if I play devil's advocate about our performances, I sort of, you let Brighton beat themselves is is probably the way I would describe it. Is we've we've proven, I guess, in the at least in the last couple of games and, and last season, that we make it hard for ourselves to score quite a lot of the times. Uh, and if you sit back and you play that game of counter attack, you're going to get one or two chances a game, almost guaranteed. Maybe a set piece that you can throw in and, and see if you can exploit that too. If you're clinical, you're going to soak up the pressure, and you're going to finish those chances um there was a couple of bits of play that arsenal managed to string together towards the end of the game and around the sort of i want to say 75 80th minutes where they evaded one bit of press had a quick one two and completely got through to the back line it was it was a one-on-one sort of scenario that came out um i think it ended in being a sort of offside situation and they called it 20 minutes after it was actually offside as they seem to do nowadays but that's that's where it's going to happen I hate that, by the way. He yeah. he was clearly offside. I mean, what what if Sanchez had came out and Aubameyang's foot had been planted in the ground and shattered his ankle I think on a Arsenal play that probably end up in a better spot? Sorry, <laughs> mean, it's mean to say that, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Though? Like, it's just I know they keep talking about these injuries and things that could happen, but like yesterday was the perfect example. This guy's one on one with Duffy absolutely belting it behind him and Sanchez coming out to meet him. That's a recipe for someone to get hurt. Like one way or another, a foot to hit a face, a foot to get planted in the ground, a someone to cut, you know what I mean? Something it's ripe for a, for a, something to go wrong. Um, it blows my mind that they keep allowing it when it's that obvious to me. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. It, like just, yeah, just the, the sheer energy that Duffy took to, you know, bring that back. You know, any man would be gasping for air after, you know, trying to belt it back 40, 50 yards just to go for a ball that everybody knew wasn't going to count anyway. So, you know, just from an energy, from an injury perspective, um, I'd like to see them just raise it when it's that obvious. Like, obviously, the assistant referee clearly didn't think it was that obvious, in which case we should be looking at them. Um, but, yeah, it, we're seeing that a little bit too often for, for our liking, it seems. There is another player that I want to bring up. I, I agree with you for the most part that there was really no bad egg. They they all played very well. They executed the game plan like chef's kiss. Like they did everything but finish. Um, Leandro Trossard, though, I do want to bring him up because he had such a poor performance Monday, um, and it felt like he really refound 
the form that we were complimenting him on before Monday. Um, six shots, one on target, three key passes, led the way on just about everything uh, in terms of offensive opportunities. Um, obviously, wasn't one to finish them. Uh, but I thought he he looks so much better in the as a pocket player, however obnoxious that is, like talking about that kind of terminology. But like, he wasn't... Monday, it was a front three, like an out-and-out front three. Trossard, Welbeck, and Mope. And this week, it was very much... He was basically given license to roam around that final third and, and do whatever he felt best. He he primarily hung around the middle and the right, but he was he popped up a couple of times on the left as well and linked up with Kukurea really well. If we could just get him to put in those performances week after week, I mean, he would be a superb player and probably won't be playing for us. But I thought he was really good yesterday. I, th- I thought he did a lot to carry the ball forward. Yeah, I think so too. I just... I think we're seeing a lot of the performances before Palace. He was also very good in terms of we're seeing someone that maybe has adapted and is now at the level that we should be expecting from him. And he, I think in most of these season's games, he has been very good, especially in that middle bit, like you said, just being right in that middle sort of area, finding the space in the middle of the park, just in front of the midfielders and then being able to create something from it. Finishing, less to be desired, you know, in terms of what we've seen. But, you know, we, we know that. Um, but you can see the confidence is up. The the trickery and the ability to get out of tight spots as well has also been very good and has got us out of situations a couple of times. Um, I would like to think, I you know, I self-confessed Trossard fan that Monday was a caught-up-in-the-moment type deal and that now he's back to, you know, being the Trossard that we like watching. Uh, yeah, I, I I just love to see that level of consistency come in because he he strikes me as he can be very Jekyll and Hyde, Carney, as you as you kind of said, Josh. And, and if he wasn't, then he's already a Belgian international, and uh, yeah, he might have further aspirations. But he really needs to lock that down. And, and there's there were a lot of games last season where he he got lost. Um, and you didn't see much of him and he would come off 55 minutes and 60 minutes. And that was that he needs to, he needs to figure that bit out. I think what he did well yesterday was kind of a culmination of what you said, but the, some of the worry that I have with him is he oftentimes finds himself playing himself into trouble and he's got such skill to get around one or two players, which I think is by the way, relatively unique in the team. The team is designed to pass around players. There's not many players that just completely can take on their man. And he is absolutely the one. Um, but he'll play his way into trouble sometimes. He got a couple of calls yesterday where he got kicked right at the end of going around one or two people. But he would have lost the ball and it would have created a dangerous scenario. So I'd, I'd love to see a little bit more protection from him in that regard. But on his day is incredible, uh, especially when he smashes a ball home from about 25, 30 yards out, which he's been known to do. Yeah, I will say Kukurea is showing shades of someone who may well be confident enough to take a man on and be successful a couple yes, of times. Yes, agree. Uh, he, he showed that yes, first time, for the first time yesterday, but he really showed, like, but I, I don't know. I also think he was the most confident player I've seen in a long time, so I don't know if it was just a one-off. You have to be when you wear that hair. Um, <laughs> you are not a shy and retiring type. That's fair. That's true. Um, I do want to touch on someone else more so outside of the game, um, but in general, and I'll tell you why, because there's been a lot 
of conversation on Twitter and social media in general that this player has passed it. It should be his last year and he shouldn't be playing, despite the con- the performance yesterday from a lot of people. And that man is Pascal Gross. They said he slowed the play down and he shouldn't be the one in the team. Now, let me just lay off some some information about him. And then I want your opinions on what you think is the way forward for Pascal Gross. He has the most assists in the team this season. He's level with Adam Lalana on average tackles per game. Not top, but like that's the player he's kind of similar to. Uh, he is joint with Veltman on successful clearances. Uh, he is second in the team in successful progressive dribbles. He has 2.8 key passes per game. The next best player is Kukurea at 1.5. Uh, nobody outside of the back three is dispossessed of the ball less often. Uh, he's fourth in pass accuracy in the team. Only Dunk, Duffy and Basuma are ahead of him. Uh, and he is number one in the team for expected assists. 30 years old, clearly an unbelievable asset, especially under Hutton. Is it time to move on from Gross despite the underlying numbers? Or do you think he should continue to remain a player that is in and around that first eleven? Um, for, for those that only listen to the podcast, almost every week where we stream this, uh, there's a chap, I can't remember his name, but he logs in and basically just absolutely roasts Pascal Gross. <laughs> just over, for no reason. Uh, even if he plays well, he'll say, ah, Gross didn't do so and so. I think it's too and late for him today. It's too late. Yeah, we got uh, next week. You better, <laughs> be, better be listening to this and come on because I almost sort of miss him. Um <laughs> No, I, I think the problem the problem with Gross is that the way that we play and the tactics that Potter employs typically means that for his ideal role, there's only Basuma's playing and he's sitting more back. So there's really only one position for the most part for him to be in his real role. Um, and Adam Lanana's playing incredible football and and you could argue he helps facilitate that out the flow of our game a little bit better than what we've been talking about before we have young talent like Jakob Moda coming in who, who looks really progressive and brings a little bit more of a different edge to the game and you have that other argument against Gross that despite all of his creative talent does he have quite as much juice in the tank in terms of tracking back and defending no not 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 quite as much as some of these younger players He's still an incredible talent. He still fools everyone with his Cruyff turns. He is uh, Albion's dead ball specialist still for the most part. Um, at, at worst case, Gross is a is a fantastic player that can come in for a, what is a very long season, um, especially if we're playing in multiple cup competitions. It's He's absolutely an asset to the club. Yeah, I mean, can't really add too much more than that and, you know, in terms of all the stats obviously don't lie for, for the statisticians around, but there's there's also the amount of ground that he covers as well. You know, one of his one of his key um, key criticisms that he comes into is that he's not fast enough or he's not direct enough. Um, but I don't think he needs to be for us. And um, I'm, I'm not expecting Gross to take on two or three players and, and run down the line. You know, he he fools defenders with his trickery and his his turns, and it ha- it works every single time. So. In terms of, you know, what he offers, obviously expected assist, you know, the key passes, incredible crosses on him as well in terms of being able to get it into the box. Um, you're, you're then talking around, okay, well, if he's in the middle 
who are those key direct and fast players? And we're talking about Kukurea and Lamptey. We're talking about Trossard, who's got a little bit of pace to him. So, you know, we're, it depends what bucket you put him in. Um, if you're if you're asking for a centre mid that creates and crosses very, very well and covers a lot of ground, then it's, it's hard to look past him, par one or two people in our squad. Um, yeah, I mean, he's key and... Like Josh said as well, it's a long season too. You've you've got 38 games. You're going to start to see a lot of our players now go out on international duty whilst he's not really going to be in the Germany squad at all. Um, so, you know, when, when it does come to tired legs, etc., Gross is always going to put a shift in. Can we... Josh, I don't know if we want to add to that, but I was, I was going to bring up another player, if you don't mind. No, to uh, me, I all I've got to... I, those stats are all I have to add. That to me that that speaks volumes that he at bare minimum should be on the in the starting twenty or whatever it is like the squad yeah. every single week based on Potter and what he thinks is the best way about things I will bow down to him whatever he wants to play because uh, he tends to just keep making it work but uh, there's there's no way in my this is a player that he does he does cover a lot of ground and I know he's not the quickest at covering it but. This is a player that could play until he's 35 and look the same as he looks now. Yeah. So to me, there's no way on God's green earth that this should be even a conversation about his last season at the club. This is, no. Like, to me, he's just a timeless player that will be an asset to the club for as long as we want to keep him, I think, or his legs fall off. (laughs) He very rarely gets injured, too. Uh, just just thinking about it in terms of dependability and always sort of being available for selection as well. Um, I, I don't have injury stats next to me, but um, you know, I think he's had maybe one or two injuries since the four or five years that he's had. Joey you know is Craig, and this Adam. I'm sorry if this is something that's going to get way over your head. He is the Miz of the Brighton team. <laughs> he's a safe, Miss- dependable worker that never gets hurt. Yeah, Mister Dependable. Yeah, exactly. That's spot on for, for those for those wrestling. I, I wrestling understand wrestling. that reference just enough to to dislike wrestling even more. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he he does have. There's no no one in the Brighton team has quite as good vision as him uh, in terms of popping a sort of mid range pass to a player that's beyond the closest player. He does that so often, and he does that better than anyone else there. We. Uh, Again, he has he has something beyond what a lot of the other squad have. Dan Byrne was who I was going to bring up uh, because it was easy to... Well, firstly, obviously, he had that big chance he missed, but that's not why Dan Byrne is in the team for the most part. But he played most of last season in a position that was absolutely not his. And now he's finally playing in the central defensive role on the left side. We haven't talked about him a ton, Um when we talked about Duffy before, we talked about, well, if Duffy hadn't worked out based on last season at Celtic, we lose Ben White. Defence could look a little bit ugly for us centrally. We didn't talk about Dan, but Dan Burns has come in and has just been just quietly really, really good and made some incredible tackles. And those big legs keep him up with players that he has no right to be keeping pace with. You talk about, you know, keeping Saka quiet as well in terms of on the, he was on the, the left side of that three as well and in, in dealing with what are quick and young players. Um, but also just his passing ability as well is sort of overlooked as well. Just the, the ability to control and it's so important to the way that we play um, in picking passes and, and going for it. Um, 
we always go for that goal kick towards his head because obviously he's about eight foot, uh, you know, when, when Sanchez tries to hit it. So it, it, in terms of, he does so much that's, like Adam said, very, very underrated. And it's a completely warranted shout out because I thought he was great yesterday. He was. Uh, let me play devil's advocate though, because what scares me about Dan Byrne, and I don't think any other centre-half at Albion has it, not even Duffy yet. Hopefully not again. Uh, I think Duffy's had one of these incidences maybe twice with us, including the championship. So he's not someone I would consider uh, a problem player. Dan Byrne is very Titus Bramble-esque for me, where he will turn That's in cruel, and Josh. he will turn in a performance from hell once every 10 games that costs us at minimum a goal, if not a yellow card, a red card, or a, or a own goal, or something as well. That's what scares me about Dan Byrne, and it's only at centre half that that's where it scares me. When he was out wide at left, you know, all that season where Potter basically had no choice but to play him out there, those fears were not. They were totally allayed. I didn't feel the same way because he wasn't in those positions to make those mistakes. Dan Byrne as a centre-half, which is bizarre because I shouldn't be talking about him as a preference at left-back to centre-half, but he scares me more at centre-half than he does out wide. That's that's how I feel when I see him play there. I think, is this going to be the game where he does something mental? Um, maybe. maybe Sure, it could happen. But Dunk's had those games too. He really has. And, and I just... I'll... I'll say you're right when we see that game, but and, <laughs> and because we we did so we he had one of those games towards the end of last season. I can't remember who it was against, but I, I just remember everyone saying, "Get him out of the team. He can't play left back." But I, I I feel like part of that might be due to the fact that he was playing in a position that was just unholy suited to his skill set. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because so far this season he's not shown that for me. I agree. Uh, this season, I agree. Overall, he still scares me. Um, we don't have a ton of replacements either if he does have a bad game. Because at least on the right side, you say Veltman which would jump in there. But Well, let's talk about that because post-Arsenal, we're now in the international break. And to cover that, because we are going into a game against Norwich away next, which is obviously a huge game where we should be expected to take at minimum a point anything less than a point is a failure we should be taking three honestly uh without sounding too arrogant but we are we are very quickly coming upon a point where graham will genuinely have some pretty major selection uh issues uh in the fact that it's not that he doesn't have enough it's that he's starting to have too many um, Adam Webster is due back after the international break. Potter has continued to go on and on, including this weekend that he expects him back after the international break. Bissouma, from what I can gather, is definitely coming back. It sounded like it was a case of Potter was that confident at being able to deal with Arsenal without him that he chose to do it just purely out of safety's sake, uh, which speaks to the confidence and arrogance in the team, which is good. Um, Lamptey, it's definitely going to be ready at that point. That's two more weeks that he's had, and two weeks is a long time when he's already been playing. I guess Graham has said he's played numerous games behind closed doors that we don't know about. So that's, you know, that's someone I'm expecting to be coming back. The only player 
two players that are likely to be totally unavailable come Norwich. And the rest are going to be as close to match fit as they can be. And that is Danny Welbeck and Steven Alzate. Alzate is now out until January, I believe, which is a bit of a bitch, honestly. But it is what it is. Um, Feltman has been excellent, as you said. You know, he's he's played a lot of minutes so far this season. Dan Byrne, when he's been asked to come in for these two games, has been superb. He's done it. He's done everything you could ask of him. Uh, Lalana has been excellent. Moda came in yesterday, didn't put a foot wrong, particularly. Um, Pascal Gross, all the stats say what they say. Uh, Mope is unbelievably clinical. What? How? How? How are you expecting him to deal with th- these selection errors? Or errors, not so much errors, but selection concerns when it comes to that centre half group. When it comes to the fullbacks, what are you? What what do you think our strongest eleven is when everybody's fit? I guess it's a, obviously in terms of just having those options is always going to be good. But then you have that conversation around well, how do you keep everyone happy? Um, you, you're talking about a group of players that Potter has collected that are, you know, working within a system that gives us the best results. And it my my personal opinion is that for Norwich, I reckon he's going to keep Veltman in at right back. And I think Basuma is going to come in for Moda. Um, you know, it, in terms of Basuma is one of those that is just irreplaceable. And I think the, the best, I guess, what the least path to resistance is probably to drop Moda and have Gross and Lalana in there with Basuma. And I think that's probably what Potter's going to be. Um, with Lamptey, you know, I think how well Veltman's been playing, I think it would be quite, Averse to drop Veltman purely for Lamptey. As as much as we all want to see that wing back connection in terms of what we want to do, um, you're then talking about well, what has Veltman done wrong in order to be switched with with Lamptey, and how do you have that conversation? Um, because I don't think he's done anything to warrant sitting on the bench when he's done, like you said, he's kept Tierney quiet. You know, half it was his own fault, but you know, it, in terms of Veltman assist on Monday. Clean sheet uh, yesterday, you know, it, it's a very difficult conversation to have to switch him with Lamptey. And um, the only thing I could say is Norwich, we're just going to go gung ho and, and try and hit them with everything that we've got. Um, say say he does drop Veltman from right wing back and he says, you know, Tariq's fully fit. He's a key, key player for us at quality and, and no one can deny that. And Joel Veltman goes, well, I'll play centre half then. Well, I mean, I. But you also missed out Webster as well in terms of exactly. I think he'll be back in. So Dan Byrne yeah. hasn't done much wrong either. And that's what we're talking about. Right <laughs> now, isn't it? So in terms of just, yeah, you know, I'm glad it's not my problem because, you know, when you're when you're down in the lower echelons of the of the table, you know, those those selection issues can be very clear cut in terms of things aren't going well, so we need to change things. And you can have that conversation. When things are going right and everything's going well, how do you warrant that change and how do you see it? Because you could be vilified for making that change and making that decision. Um, So we've seen Potter mix it up a lot uh, to keep opponents guessing. Um, You know, your guess is as good as mine in terms of what the right and wrong answer is. Um, But... I, my personal opinion is I, I will probably see Webster come back in, Veltman to stay, Basuma in the middle for Moda. Uh, this, uh, this is 
what a real football club looks like, as in one that isn't <laughs> completely ruptured by injuries, which is what's currently happening. Um, we've got a lot of first 11 players that are currently out. Like that's We now get back to seeing what the squad looks like, the matchday squad looks like, based on Bloom and, and Potter's intentions after the transfer window closed, which is great. So you'll see players like Hayden Roberts drop out of the matchday squad and Sarmiento and so on and so forth. And we'll, and we'll have higher quality players come in. Uh, I absolutely think, yes, Webster comes back in. You, you drop Dan Berners after we just wax lyrical about him. But I don't think you, you're not dropping Dunk. Um, Duffy and Dunk is just, uh, I'm not breaking that partnership up. I think Veltman does drop for me. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think Potter is going to have a lot of time to look at the last couple of games. He's going to really worry about the fact that outside of one sort of, we'll call it a freak chance that happened in the the dying embers of the game against Crystal Palace, we spent 185, 190 minutes and, 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 Arguably, we're very close to not putting any goals in the back of there. I think he's going to go out and really look to hammer Norwich. So I, th- I think he he does bring Lamptey in. Um, I, I, there's a there's a small chance in my mind that that Connolly plays if he wants to move back to that front three. And he thought that the front two was maybe a little bit suspect in terms of um, actually creating what I would call true chances, not a thousand chances that result in one point four or whatever it was xG. So you could, if he wants to move to that front three, I could see Connolly come back in. Obviously, Basuma comes right back in and Moda drops to the bench for me. I completely agree there. Yep. Basuma, for me, to answer my own question, no problem. Straight in. Um, I think the same as you in terms of Veltman not being in that right wing back spot as well. I think he is going to go with Lamptey as well. I think Norwich have uh, players on the wing or at wing back that can cause problems and he's going to identify that pretty quickly and realize that Kukurea is going to have an absolute field day against Max Ahrens if he is allowed to, uh, given that if you then play someone like Lamptey on the right uh, and Brandon Williams is also kept with his hands full, you're essentially just caught, you're just overloading them on both sides. They're, they're totally penned in from the minute the ball is kicked. Um, it would be kind of morbidly helpful if Webster wasn't quite ready, because I think if he's not, I think you see Veltman slot straight in. And I think Byrne gets dropped rightly or wrongly. I think you put Veltman in that three back three. Um, I agree there. I think because it's so important how we build out play from, from the back and Webster is probably our best asset at doing that. But if he's not ready, Veltman's certainly better than Byrne in that regard. I agree with you. Yeah, it's tough though because if if Webster is ready and he is and you know centre halves, it's always a little bit less important, isn't it, to get game time under your 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 pop, you know Lamptey needs a lot of a lot of preparation. Webster isn't going to need that. He's a centre half and a very good one. He's not and he's not exactly going to be expected to be running all the way up and down the pitch defending against a, a Mares or somebody like he might the following week. Um, I think it's a great problem to have as well. Uh, I I would not be at all surprised personally if they bring all three in, if if Potter brings all three in if they're fit. I really think he may well see this as the perfect showcase to be like, here is what we built sans Welbeck. I think that was yes, a statement win. Yeah, yeah. I, 
there's a really good point about the few, the fixtures after the fact as well. Where you've got City and Liverpool coming, and that I probably wouldn't expect Lamptey to start those games, and and Veltman can pocket you know whatever left wing hopefully he would play. So he's, I think defensively Veltman helps out a lot more against those maybe higher established sides. So um, I completely understand the whole the Lamptey thing, especially when you take the future fixtures into account, because I don't think he plays against Man City and Liverpool. So giving me a chance against Norwich to to do his thing, I think that's probably best. I completely contradicted myself, but the, the future fixtures also just play a big part in where does Lamptey get game time? Because the next few fixtures after Norwich um, are maybe uh, a little bit tougher. And it almost falls perfectly for him because Leicester is right in the middle in that EFL Cup. So that's where he gets his game time to keep himself sharp. He gets his run out against Norwich and then he gets 70 minutes against Leicester for better or worse. And he's got that game time he needs to then come on against Newcastle and make St. Maximum cry after 43 minutes again. It just seems it just seems like it's written in the stars that ASM is going to have an absolute meltdown. Um it is a great problem to have, though, Craig. Like, and I'm glad I'm not paid those decisions. You can you can keep your four year extra contract <laughs> or whatever it is you have, Graham, because I'm not. I don't want. To, it's going to be tough enough on Football Manager, let alone trying to do it in real life. Oh, yeah. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> I, it, it's either way it works out with these tough fixtures coming up. I, I do. I, I'm big on this idea that I think Norwich has to be. Uh, you go all out for the three points, knowing that the unknown presents you in the in the following couple of games. And and also, let's not forget about that Leicester game in the EFL Cup, depending on how he lines up for that. But I was just looking the last <laughs> the last time we played Man City in the league, it was the game uh, was it May, and we won it three yep. two, right? Uh, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think our left and right wing backs were Jakob Moda and Ali Reza Jahankbash. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, who knows what's going to happen, and it's going to be better than those two in those positions. And and this is the fun one because after Norwich, his and obviously this is going way into the future, but I did want to bring this up with you both because I read this earlier and it blew my mind. Um, because if we can match this, we're talking like scary dreamland stuff where like we're all absolutely hammered recording the Christmas podcast, just like we're already <laughs> booking tickets to like Moldova. Like it's already done. Like, because after Norwich, our games are Manchester City at home, Liverpool away, Newcastle at home, Villa away, Leeds at home, West Ham away, Southampton away, and Tottenham at home. Those games last year, those exact same games head to head, seven wins and a draw. <laughs> That was where we we hit those two purple patches, uh, one in March and then one earlier on in the season. Uh, no, at the end of the season, I think it was to to pull away finally from the from the drop. Um, we match that, and obviously, with it's this is going to be a very dangerous podcast at that point. But what what are you guys genuinely hoping to see as these fixtures? come up in terms of Liverpool and City that are a lot tougher than any of the games we've played prior? <laughs> I'm nervous. I said last week, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm nervous about the Norwich game because um, Norwich will win a game this year, in my opinion. And that is a very hot take. Um, and one team is going to be furious when they lose to them. 
Uh, and that can happen. This is football. It doesn't just happen on paper and we all walk away and say, yeah, that was fair. Um, I think we'll get some points in that run of games that we didn't expect. And conversely, we're going to, there's this, we look, we can look at those teams and say, okay, well, there's a couple of easier fixtures there. Uh, but Leeds could happily on their day score three. Villa have looked great in, in, in fits and starts. We know what we're going to potentially get with Man City and Liverpool. I think you're only, the only one there where you think, all right, we're definitely going to get three points with Spurs. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to do a head-to-head. I, I, you know, I appreciate seven wins and one draw. It'd be very, very tough to replicate in terms of going into it. But, you know, we're, we're now a team where we can look to get points from most games, you know, in terms of a few years back in terms of just, okay, where are we going to get our points? Um, now it's a conversation of, well, how many points are we going to get from this? Um, and and yeah. can we can we play our game and can we do what we need to do to make that damage? Um, you know, seven games, 14 points, arguably a couple of games there which were a bit easier than the others. Um, but you have played Arsenal off the park and not got what you wanted. We have beat Leicester at home. Um you know, the only blip being Everton, but we all know exactly what went wrong there. Um, so, you know, it, it's more of a case of let's see how we can handle ourselves against Man City and Liverpool, see if we can dictate play and play the way that we want to play, because that's a clear progression from, you know, what we've been seeing. Um, yeah. Being able to play our game and get them to react to us rather than being the other way around. Just because... Uh, this is probably the only time in our lifetimes I'm going to be able to say this. Uh, if we do replicate those results, we are on 36 points on the 12th of December, 11th of December. Just nuts. Just thought I'd put that out there. Uh, for the record, that is top of the league by about nine points last season <laughs> and eight the year before. So. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to. I'm happy looking at the table right now, seeing that we're 11 points clear of the relegation zone. Um, target number one is to continually distance ourselves from that group of clubs for me. As as much as the dreaming is fun, I let's get that bit away. Let, let's, let's put that argument away and just say, now we're not even talking in december we're not even thinking about fighting out for, for the relegation battle going into into 2022 that's not our concern we're talking about how far we can get into the top half of the table and stay there that's yeah the, well was let me just Sorry, let me just say i honestly do feel that way too um <laughs> i i love to look at these things and just think like we've done it like evidence says that we've done this yeah, like yeah. if we pull this off again like madness but like you said, like seven points, seven games played, 14 points. Like we are eight wins away from safety with 31 games to go. That's the realistic crux of it. Or yes. four wins and eight draws. More than, you know what I mean? Anything that gets us to 38 points, which is the magic number nowadays. Eight wins away with 31 games to go. If we beat Norwich, seven games, seven wins with 30 games. Yeah. That for That's me, I agree. That's all I thought when you said that, like, ended on 36 points. I was like, oh, only a couple of points away and then we're safe. Like, it, it's, I've never escaped that mindset. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see just how we do in those games and that head-to-head. Obviously, the Man City and the Liverpool games are kind of warping 
that but it it'll be fun to watch i mean those those would be good games and and when we go into those sort of easier fixtures quote unquote um it'll be good to see how this team holds up um i kind of you know i don't want to head back to the potable that we saw yesterday where a slew of chances and no goals um we saw too much of that last season i think that's my only i wouldn't say concern but I'm aware of the fact that if it continues and, and we start having that again, um, then that's where we start dropping points again. And, and you and you felt it yesterday, right? You felt yeah. it watching that game. We said it so early, I feel like, uh, God, I can see how this one's going to play out. This feels like last year. Um, I, I completely agree with you. My, I think my big hope, personally, is we get to a point by the end of December where we look at they're able to look at the table and go, we're probably safe here. Let's put some money in in January, and let's let's not make it where we have to change our tactics because Danny Welbeck is injured, which is or, or we have to play Aaron Connolly. I'd love to see us get another sort of wide attacking player and more narrow, to be honest. But someone up there that I don't. I'm not even talking about that striker player because I really do think Mope is the guy if we give him service. Just get someone else there to sort of compliment someone that's dangerous and is more direct and can go around a man that we talked about earlier yep and what's mad is really just you know looking at these fixtures coming into december that's more than doable yeah three three wins puts us on 23 points we've got newcastle and norwich to play that's six if we play at our ability and then you've got a whole host of games that are all toss-ups west ham leeds villa Brentford again you just want to win in one or two wins in there uh, ideally and yeah. that's that's the hope there because you you just don't know do you with those teams West Ham exactly. lost lost today didn't they to Brentford yeah and you're sat there on 25 points at Christmas and you know you're what four wins away for the rest of the season for safety just grind out a couple of draws whatever it is like for me I agree with you but I suspect if we're on 25 points at Christmas and we're sat third or fourth in the table because that is whereabouts those kind of point numbers sit at that point in time, I think we'll be having a different conversation. <laughs> However much we'll try not to, I think, by that point. I'll jump be, on the yeah. bandwagon then if you want. That's more <laughs> than fine, yeah. Before we wrap up, uh, talk about one other big newsworthy thing uh, that happened actually just today. Uh, teams at the opposite end of the table and a team that Potter does love to play against, Watford, uh, have began their uh, their season annual uh, managerial sacking merry-go-round. Um, Zisco, seven points from seven games. That's enough for safety currently. Uh, seven, one point per game hits you 38, safe as houses. Uh, he had had a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, last three games, won one, drawn one, lost one. Uh, battered Norwich, which was really important for them, uh, and held Newcastle, uh, and then was convincingly beaten, although be it, only slightly by Leeds, but they were by far and away the worst side. Um, Claudio Ranieri is supposedly the man in the frame to take him over. Talking about Albion beating themselves at times, if you want a game plan for them, it feels at times Watford are the same. You don't need to worry about them in a relegation fight. They'll beat themselves. Do you... do you think there's many worse run clubs at times in the Premier League when you look at their managerial record? Yeah, we just played them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's, I mean, of all the games we've played this season, that first half against Watford was the closest that it felt in terms of a Premier League side playing a championship side. They were diabolically poor. Uh, it's sort of embarrassingly so. <laughs> they lost their talisman. They, well, they you know sent him off Dini right to, to go play for Birmingham at the start of the season. Um, they just don't have much going for them. I, outside of Saar, who's, I would take him in a heartbeat. He, that's who I'd love to plug in a world exposition. Um, I'd easily said that. <laughs> yeah, we'll take him. Uh, well, at that point, right, if we're dreaming, we're, we're a European football side, right? Surely he'd want us to take that step up. Uh, no, it, it, it's sad for the Watford fans because they're a passionate lot as well. Um, and I think they try to cheat, cheat is a strong word, but with those Italian loan connections that happened a couple of years back, uh, it was all just a bit farcical, wasn't it? And I, it's great that they got promoted and they're, they're involved at the moment, but they just don't, you're not scared facing Watford. Like if, if I look down the table and I, look, I pick out two teams that I'm not really concerned about facing Watford, absolutely are one of them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Ranieri can do. Um, just, you know, obviously everyone's going to you know, go madness about the whole Leicester um, you know, title winning squad and, and what they've got there. Um, you know, I, I've seen people say seven from seven isn't that bad. You know, like you, Josh said, it's, that's safety form just about. Um, but it's just the tactical ineptitude that we saw when we played them that, you know, They've, they've got some points on the board, but I think the general consensus is, is that he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Um, so be interested to see what they can get out of the current squad in terms of Ranieri. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, obviously, that news is a, a couple of hours old, but um, you know, you've got some okay players in there. You know, Sarah's obviously the you know the, the star of the show. Um, but you know, Emmanuel Dennis had you know a good start, but he hasn't really shown anything since. Um, be interesting to see and then adam with the italian uh, udinese connections um that will also i uh, imagine play a part in january uh, the, the only thing i'll add to it is that i think there's a chance people will get excited and look back to what you said you know obviously that who can ignore what he did with leicester is arguably arguably one of the greatest things that we've seen in our lifetime in terms of unexpected situations in football um and it was incredible but he has managed a number of clubs since then <laughs> and it's not been very good. In, including Premier League Fulham. Correct. Who hated him. <laughs> yes. With passion. Um, I mean, what, didn't they go on just some heinous, winless run for months and months with him as manager as well? I, it, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be too thrilled about him coming in as manager, quite honestly. As nice as a chap as he seems to be. 69 as well now. Not getting any younger, old Claudio. Anything else to add before we run into our international break? I'm excited about Solly March becoming this decade's Kazenga Lualua from the subs bench. That is <laughs> one thing I'll say. No, he, he came on yesterday. He was played so far up the right-hand side, he created two or three chances. Uh, that, that's, I think that's a nice spot for him to fill. I, thought, I mean, yeah, from, from that perspective, I thought you were talking about Kazenga's demise and, and drop down the down the leagues. But. I'll miss that bit. I'm more thinking about the change of pace in this sort of <laughs> 75th, 80th minute. But yeah, 
impact impact sub, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Uh, we are out until the Norwich game. Um, I am flying home to sunny England in October, so uh, we're not going to be recording an episode next week for the international break. So just enjoy looking at the table and seeing that we're taking two points per game. Uh, which, like I said earlier, may well be never happen again. So let's well just enjoy it while we while we're living it. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Back after a win from Norwich. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, we will see you all uh, two weeks from now. Enjoy the break. Be safe and peace. All right. See you later. Bye.